Right, let's hear what God put in your heart. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Amen. Is this Mark on? It's on, eh? Okay. Auntie, I'm just disappointed that you stopped sharing because your word, you could have gone on and kept preaching because that's the message, right? The gospel. Hallelujah. Uh, It's good to be with you all this morning. If you are a visitor here, great. I'm happy that you came to visit and hang out with us. Please make sure you get one of those devotionals, as Auntie said. They're also for you, and we're going to have more of them arriving this week. So we're going to have another hundred. And the idea is that we give everybody that we know that's in our lives one of those devotionals. Even unbelievers, or maybe believers, they need them just as much, right, Auntie? But just take one. And then also there's a beautiful spice pot there that's brewing. I mean, you can smell it if you go out there. There's a whole lot of spices out there. And there's little bags, and the idea is that you take the ingredients, there's a little card that tells you how to make those little Christmas spice bags. I'm not actually sure what you do with them, but I, th- I know you cook it. I don't know if you... Ha- Where's Joanna? Joanna, do you drink them? When you do- no, don't drink Okay, don't drink it. Okay, terms and conditions apply. Don't drink it. I said it. You heard me? Don't drink it. But the idea is that you cook it, and, and then it smells like Christmas, okay? And so take one of those ingredient bags, add it to the book, and give it to your neighbors. I mean, that's a real great way to get them into the spirit of Christmas, but also to maybe get them to come and join us for Christmas and spend some time here. I hope everyone had a fantastic time with your family and friends. Thanksgiving's always a beautiful season. Uh, it's a great time for us to remind ourselves, as Auntie led us in prayer this morning, of all the things that we have to be grateful for, right? Yes, we know that we're grateful for our friends and our family members and our loved ones, and we're grateful for the blessings that God's given us. But what I've also realized is that we are so grateful to our king, right? I mean, here's the reality. While this world seems to be tearing itself apart, we can be thankful and grateful that we serve a king who gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. And so no matter what's going around us, on around us, we can have peace. And while the prognosticators in this world keep warning us about global instability, economic downturns, more COVID, new COVID, wars, rumors of wars, all of those things, we're a people that can be thankful and grateful that this world is not our home. That this is a way station for us on our way to eternity, an eternity with a king where we'll enjoy a new and glorified heaven and earth where there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more wars and no more rumors of wars. And if all of that wasn't enough, we get to remember that we were chosen, handpicked, each and every one of us in this room, to live in what is arguably one of the most significant times, I believe, in biblical timeline. I say that because we are living in an age where the rider on the white horse, the same rider we read about and heard about in Revelation, is bringing the gospel messages, the message to more places and to more people than ever before. I mean, the gospel is reaching people that have never heard the gospel, and there's still many more to be reached, but we're living in an age where it's making traction, where it's going to places, where we get to preach this gospel message to all the lost people in this world. And that tells us that we can be grateful that we're not just saved on purpose, but we're saved for a purpose. And that purpose is to bring this message of hope to a lost and dying world. That's what Christmas ultimately is about. That's really what I am so grateful for in this season of Thanksgiving. And make no mistake, it's still tough sometimes. I mean, we do live in a fallen world, and yes, suffering is still something that some of us are going to go through and may go through, and a lot of people in this world who are believers are going through right now. But amidst all of that, God is with us. Emmanuel, the Christ child, has come, and we're going to celebrate that on Christmas, but He is with us. He has not left us alone. We are not orphans, friends. We have a hope, an eternal one. And so on behalf of my wife, my family, the elders of the church, the deacons, we want to just say to you guys that we are grateful for you, we are thankful for you, 
and we love you as our church. I also want to just thank some people real quick. Micah, Miss Micah, Finch, Kat, and everybody else that came this week that did this. Not Kat. Kat didn't do nothing. Don't say thank you to her. Give Micah a hand. Uh, Miss Micah did it all, and so we want to thank you, Micah. I thoroughly enjoyed switching on all the candles this morning. I realized how many candles you used. There's a lot of them, uh, and it was a lot of fun, but I've really found someone to switch them all off. But it, was, it is super beautiful, and I want to thank you for your time and investment and for just doing this for us every year. It's so amazing. And Kate and Claire. Yes. I see Camden's here as well. I wonder why. Where is he? Where is he? There he is. Yeah, there he is. I saw you. I wonder what you're doing here. Why are you here, Camden? I'm just kidding, buddy. I'm just kidding. Uh, I also want to thank Joanna, Shannon, for these devotional packs that they did. I mean, we're in the season of thankfulness, right? This is what Thanksgiving's about, guys. So just hold on. Thank you for doing this. You guys are awesome. Miss Shannon is amazing. They did all of this setup, and I just really want to thank you for your time, effort, and energy. You guys are awesome, and I don't know what we would do without you. So thanks, guys. Let's give them a hand as well. So this morning is going to be our last preach in our Galatians series. I know, you can start crying, I get it. I mean, everyone's super sad. I know, it's terrible. I've even got a, an unhappy face here on my notes. I'm just joking, it's just the last preach for 2023. See? We're coming back to it in January. But we are pausing the series. As Auntie said, we're going into Advent. Please make sure you invite all the people that you know in your life to come and join us with this, uh, for this series. But that brings us to today. We're going to start in Galatians chapter 3 this morning. So I'm just trying to find my timer so I don't run out of time. Uh, here we go. We're going to start in Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to unpack as much as we can this morning, five verses. But what we'll find as we unpack chapter 3 and 4, both today as well as in the months to come in January and February, is Paul is going to reinforce what he's been telling us. That's what he does throughout the book of Galatians. He's consistently reinforcing all the things that he said. And so what we'll find is he's going to reinforce the fact that the gospel message is scandalous, right? It's scandalous because it offends the religious structures. It offends works-based theology. It it offended them then, and it's going to offend them today. So if you get offended, uh, I want to just caution you just to come talk to me, and we can talk about it, and we can talk about how Jesus loves you. Amen? Don't fight though. We're going to see how Paul's going to reinforce how the actual scandal is not about how easy it is to get saved. The real scandal is when we start to bring works back into our faith. When we start saying, well, salvation is okay, but I need to do stuff in order for God to love me. Auntie made it clear this morning. That is not the gospel. He's going to reinforce the fact that it's dying to the law, dying to works, dying to religiosity that actually helps us live an authentic life for God. Remember last week, Sunday, we spoke about this. We have been crucified with Christ. And just like Jesus has a new position in heaven, he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. We in Christ have new positions. We're not the old people we once were. We are new in Christ. And when we live like that, we can start to behave like that. He's also going to reinforce that breakthrough comes as we allow the Christ who lives in us to live through us. And so this morning, we're going to continue, and we're going to see a powerful reminder that the gospel message is not just what we need for salvation, but in fact, the gospel message is something that we will never leave behind. In the words of Tim Keller, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A through Z of Christianity. And it's essential that we make that distinction. I say that because we often relegate the gospel to the place 
of justification. We relegate the gospel to the moment when we are saved. It's the thing that makes us right before God. And when I say the gospel, just in case you don't know what I'm talking about, it is salvation that, is, that comes as a result of faith alone in Christ alone. That's it. That's the gospel message. And so we often think that salvation and the gospel are just what we need when we get saved. But the fact of the matter is the gospel message is something that we need in the process of sanctification too. It's something that we'll never leave behind. It's woven into who we are because Jesus lives inside of us. And that brings us to this morning where we're going to discover some more truths about the gospel, both, both as our justifier, but also as our sanctifier. So turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to read from verse 1 to 5, as I said earlier. I did initially plan on going to verse 9, but it's just not going to happen. So we're going to do five verses instead. Okay. That's good. That's good. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that today we get together and again, once again, be washed in your word. I pray, Lord, that you would wash all of us, that you would bring revelation, that you would help us to see things that perhaps we've never seen before. And I pray that all of us would not just leave here informed, but we would leave here transformed, not by intellect or knowledge, but by your spirit. Holy Spirit, move amongst us today and we invite you into all that we do in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's read these five verses together and then we'll unpack them. Paul says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Lots of questions in this passage. And I want to try and unpack some of them this morning as we go along. But the first point I have for us today is this. Salvation is only ever a product of the cross. Think of what Paul says in Galatians 3 verse 1. He says, O foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul wants to make it abundantly clear that on his missionary journey to Galatia, along with his buddy Barnabas, the one thing that he preached to them was Jesus Christ crucified as the only mechanism for the Galatians' salvation. He echoes this thought in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I didn't come with lofty ideas. I didn't come with philosophy. I didn't come with intellect. I didn't come with arguments. I didn't come with the law or the Mosaic law. What I came is I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul's laboring the point because the Judaizers. The Galatians had allowed the Judaizers, sorry, I'm going to just say this, that word messes me up all the time, okay, because I don't know how to say it, and Mark told me how to say it, and Charlie told me a different way to say it, because Americans say it differently, so the Judaizers, the Galatians had allowed the Judaizers, in South Africa we say Judaizers, to confound them, to fool them, to bewitch them, by making them believe that the cross was only part of their salvation, 
that it was a great start to salvation. It was a good start, a great beginning. You got off the line. But guess what? In order for you to truly be saved, in addition to the cross and in addition to what Jesus did, you now need to add to your faith all of these works in the form of the Mosaic law and in particular the Ten Commandments. And so Paul says you are fools. You are bewitched. You've been cast under a spell. And I don't know if you've picked this up, but Paul's pretty angry. I mean, his tone is one of anger. He's not talking to them like, hey, guys, it's all cool, you know. He's like, listen, you guys have lost your minds. You have gone crazy. You've allowed somebody to put a spell on you. That's how bad this has become. The Galatians lost sight to what happened to them, friends, in the moment that they were saved. I want to ask you a question. Do you remember the moment when you were saved? Do you remember that moment when you first gave your life to the Lord? I can remember my experience, and so I want to share a little bit with you this morning about my own experience. It happened in a small, dusty town, in a small, dusty church, in the middle of South Africa, literally right in the middle of South Africa, in a small, dusty desert. I was in rehab. It was my fourth rehab attempt, to be precise. I was at rock bottom. My son's nodding his head. Yeah, that's right. I was at rock bottom, trying to overcome a life of drugs, crime, deception, you name it. I was trying to get over it. And by that stage, when I gave my life to the Lord, I'd been in rehab for a few weeks. And I remember the day clearly. We had a visiting pastor come in that week. We had church three times a week in the rehab. But this particular church meeting, we had a visiting pastor. His name was Pastor George Green. I don't know why that's important, but I remember the name. And while I don't exactly remember all the things that Pastor George Green preached about in his message, I do remember the moment where he talked about Jesus Christ crucified, where he presented the gospel, where he presented the cross, where he explained to us that 2,000 years ago, there was this God man named Jesus Christ who came to this earth and he went to the cross and was crucified so that he could take my sin, all of the stuff that I'd done, all of the naughty stuff and bad stuff and horrible stuff that I'd done and committed in my life, that he could take all of that and put it on his body so that he could die. And in exchange, he would give me his righteousness. All that I needed to do to accept what Jesus had done was acknowledge that what he did was true. Repent of my sins and believe. And I'd be forgiven. Now, a lot of you know this, but I also was Catholic before that, so I was already struggling to see this through the lens of my Catholicism because it's not that easy in Catholicism, right? There's a lot of things we do to maintain our salvation. And so this simple message already was starting to be like, whoa, that sounds a little bit too good to be true, Pastor George Green. My parents couldn't forgive me for the things that I'd done. And I couldn't forgive myself for the things that I'd done. But here was this pastor telling me that there was a man who would take me just as I was, not as I needed to become. I didn't have to go clean up, wash myself, get right before everybody else and then come back. No, he would take me just as I was. Honestly, I don't remember walking up to the altar or to the front of the stage. I don't remember that moment. But what I do remember is I was suddenly there. I remember saying this prayer and repeating after Pastor George Green, and it was as if in that moment every single bit of shame, guilt, and self-hatred and self-loathing that I had was washed away. And for the first time, I felt loved, I felt accepted, and I felt free. It was in that moment that I was also filled with the Holy Spirit, right there and then, and I started to speak in tongues. I know that might scare some of you. 
but I do, I speak in tongues. Now, while your experience may be different to mine, and I'm not saying everybody's experience is exactly the same, the one thing that all of us can, or at least should be able to agree on is this. None of us in this room got saved as a result of somebody preaching to us a list of rules and regulations. None of us in this room got saved as, somebody, as a result of somebody preaching to you the Ten Commandments. We got saved because they preached the finished work of the cross, the gospel message, the greatest story ever told. It's the same story that was told to the thief on the cross. He didn't know nothing about no Ten Commandments. Maybe he did. I don't know. Maybe he didn't. He certainly wasn't following the Mosaic law. I mean, he was a thief. But he got preached the gospel by Jesus himself. And what did Jesus say to him? Today you will be with me in paradise. That's the gospel message, friends. It's offensive, isn't it? That this thief could go to heaven for doing nothing? Man, look at each other and say, man, if it's offensive, man, you better get offended with me because all of us are in the same boat. And that's Paul's point. That's why he calls them foolish. That's why he calls them bewitched because they forgot what happened to them. What's more is that the Galatian encounter didn't just end with salvation. That was the beginning of their journey. The second point for us this morning is the Holy Spirit is the confirmation of the gospel message being preached. Galatians 3 verse 2 says, I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? You see, no matter what your experience is with the Holy Spirit, by the way, I do want to say this, He is God. And he is welcome in our meetings. We can't relegate him to some place where we don't want him because we don't understand him. He is God. He's equally God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so we need him in our lives. But no matter what your experience or view is on the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, the fact is this. Salvation is not an academic exercise. Salvation is not theoretical. It's not something we can learn about and then adopt and write a thesis on, although some people have. Salvation is a supernatural event. It's an event that was born in the heart of God, that was fulfilled on the cross, and that is poured out into our lives as we make the decision to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what salvation is. We go from death to life. From being blind to finally being able to see. From darkness to light. If that's not supernatural, I don't know what is. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 about this moment of salvation. He says, in him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it in the praise of his glory. When you read the book of Revelations, we hear about this big number of people, 144,000 that have the mark of God, the seal of God on them. And while we can interpret it differently, I truly believe that the seal of God is the Holy Spirit that has confirmed our salvation. The Holy Spirit is given to us in the moment we're saved. He indwells us. But there is power that comes with the Spirit too. And that's why Paul's confused because the Galatians had had the experience. The Galatians knew what it meant to receive the Holy Spirit. They saw miracles, signs and wonders. And you'll see that a bit later on this morning. And so Paul wants to ask the question, did this encounter happen? Did you receive the Holy Spirit once all of you in the room ticked all the legalistic boxes you could tick and then the Holy Spirit poured out? Or was it because you believed in the finished work of the cross? Now we know the answer today is that it was as a result of the finished work of the cross. It came from their belief in the gospel message. And here's the deal. 
This is the pattern that we find in Scripture. In the New Testament, whenever we see the gospel message being preached, it is confirmed by the Holy Spirit. Think of the first time that the Gentiles received the message of good news of the gospel. Peter has this strange vision. He's in Joppa, and he sees the sheet coming down from heaven, and on the sheet are clean animals and unclean animals. And the Lord says to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no ways, bro. I'm a Jew, bro. I've never, ever eaten anything unclean. God says, do not call unclean what I have made clean. And then he tells them, listen, I want you to go. Some people are going to come get you. I want you to go to this man named Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion. I want you to go to Caesarea. And I want you to do something there. You don't know yet what it is, but you'll figure it out. Don't worry along the way. And so Peter waits. People come. They get sent by the Holy Spirit too. And he goes to Caesarea. He meets Cornelius. And in the room are countless Gentiles. I don't know how many were there, but there's a lot of people. I've actually been to Cornelius' house, well, where they thought it was. It's actually pretty amazing. But in that place, Peter starts to present the gospel message. He starts to preach the gospel message. And look what happens. Acts 10 verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. This happens throughout the book of Acts. In Antioch, when the Gentiles receive the gospel message, they receive it. The Holy Spirit's poured out. It happens on the day of Pentecost, friends. But it got me thinking. You see, I long for the Holy Spirit to be poured out in greater measure in our meetings. I long to experience revival. I don't want to miss the next great move of God. And so the question is, why is it that we don't experience the fullness that God has for us? I mean, that's a big question. I'm asking God that same question. Lord, how is it and why is it that we're not experiencing revival, that we're not seeing the cloud of glory descend in our midst? And we have experienced it and we've seen God move, but I want more of God. I don't think you can ever get enough of God. I want to see greater moves of God. And I really believe it's two things that really prevent us from walking in that. The first is probably the most obvious, and that is that the Holy Spirit makes us uncomfortable. Right? We don't experience more of God because God, when He shows up, doesn't show up on our timeline in the way we think He's going to show up. He doesn't show up according to the planning center schedule that we put down. He says, I'm here and I'm here right now and I'm going to pour my spirit out on you. And so what we tend to do is program Him out of the meetings. We create moments for God to move. And so that's one aspect. And please don't get me wrong. We all do it. I mean, we all do it all the time. Sometimes some people get up here to share a word and I'm petrified because I don't know how long it's going to be and what they're going to say. But... I'm trusting that God's going to move, right? So we need to make space for God. But I think here's the second thing that I felt on my heart as I was preparing this message that maybe we can all resonate with. And if you don't, it's fine. But it does resonate with my heart. I think we don't experience the fullness of God because we've fallen into the Galatian trap. I made that up, by the way. Probably won't make sense because I made it up. But it's this thinking that says that the better we perform for God, the better we prepare for God, the better we set things up for God, the more ambiance we create for God, the more excellence we plow into everything we do for God, then God will show up. When all God wants from us is to trust that it's not about what we can do for Him, but it's about what He's already done for us. This illustration for me hits me powerfully when we look at new believers. How many of you have met somebody who's just recently given their lives to the Lord? 
Okay, you guys need to be preaching the gospel more. How many people have met somebody who's recently given their lives to the Lord? You've all met someone that's given their lives to the Lord. Surely you have. I mean, you guys can put your hands up. I'm actually asking you to do it. You're not distracting me. Okay, I promise. Do you remember meeting those people and how excited they were about their faith? Huh? It's like they want to tell everyone about Jesus until they meet Christians. Until they meet us. Because then we're like, oh, that doesn't really work. Mm, no, you don't want to do that. Mm, those people might shout at you. Mm, maybe you need to tone it down a little bit because, you know, this Christian thing is really great in the beginning. But don't worry, you're going to calm down. We want everyone to calm down. Now you'll become just like us dead over time. That's what the Galatians were like. Think about it. They started on fire. And then they met these other people who said, hey, woo, you need to tone it down a little bit. Let's just not get so excited about God. Friends, I believe God wants us to be excited today, as excited today for Him as we were the day we got saved. We should be on fire today, on fire tomorrow, on fire for the rest of our lives. And so God doesn't show up because as we become more mature, we start to realize that we have to behave differently and do different things because everybody's judging us in church anyway, right? No, they're not. They shouldn't be. I was just, that was just a joke. We wonder why churches become dry. We wonder why we see countless empty churches all across this nation. Nobody in them. Three, four, five, six people in them. Gathering, trying to keep this thing together. But then you say, well, let's do something new. No, we can't do anything new. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. No, we've been doing this the same way for the last 80 years. Well, it's not working. Okay, clearly, because there's nobody left. Friends, churches become dry when we become legalistic. When we start to put things in front of other people's salvation, when we start to determine all the things that we can do and should be doing for God in order for Him to show up, God just wants us to come back to Him and say, Lord, here we are. Pour your Spirit out on us. Third point. Not only does the law fail to save and empower us, it fails to sanctify us. Verse 3, are you so foolish? I mean, this is the second time he said foolish. He knows. I mean, he's calling them dumb. (laughs) Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Under the influence of the Judaizers, got it right. The Galatians had taken what started as a gift from God and allowed themselves to believe that what began as an act of God's grace and God's will in the heart of God, now all of a sudden had to be completed by their own works. That's in essence what Paul's asking them. Do you really believe that? I mean, do you honestly believe that? Now, there is a distinction I want to make at this point. What Paul's not saying is that from the moment we get saved, we have no part to play in living a godly life. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying that living a godly life doesn't require effort. It requires a huge amount of effort. Why? Because consistently we are taking our thoughts into submission and we're laying them down at the cross in obedience to Christ. We are consistently reminding ourselves that Jesus Christ crucified is the one that we're following. And so we're crucifying our flesh. We are consistently reminding ourselves that Christ in me is the hope of glory. And so there is a huge amount of effort that goes into godly living. But what Paul is saying is he is saying this, that if you believe that from the moment you are saved, you can now set in place a set of rule, a set of list of rules and regulations and that will keep you sanctified, he's saying that's false. Even honoring the Ten Commandments. If you think those will keep you sanctified, they won't, because you'll fail. And I want to unpack this issue a little bit because some people may think that preaching a gospel of grace encourages 
a sinful existence. I mean, I've heard people say that to me. Aren't you scared about preaching Galatians? Because isn't that hyper grace? And I want to say, people you know, are asking that with good intentions. I'm very much against a hyper grace message. But here's the deal. It's not promoting a sinful existence. You see, living a life in the new covenant, one that has transcended the Mosaic law, doesn't hold us to a lesser degree of holiness. It holds us actually to a far higher degree of holiness. Think of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this in Matthew 5. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. For I tell you, in verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is clear. He didn't come to take the law away. He didn't come to abolish it and forget it and say, that was a bad memory. Don't worry, guys, I've got something better for you. He came to fulfill the law. You see, the Mosaic law was a great framework. It was a great way for the nation of Israel to learn how to live within the bounds of morality compared to all the other pagan nations that existed with them. God created this framework. But what we do know is the nation of Israel could not live up to the standard of the law. They failed all the time. But there was somebody who never failed. Jesus came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He followed the law perfectly. He went to the cross perfect. And what he came to do was not to continue the law to say, hang on, we're just going to restart it. No, I've done what the old covenant required. I've paid the price. I've paid the the cost for your sins and now we're going to enter into something new that's why we live in the new covenant it's a covenant that elevates the heart of man above the actions of man Jesus said this unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven apart from putting the fear into you because when I read that I'm like "Woo, man I'm in trouble seriously like I mean those Pharisees I mean, they definitely behave better than I have in my life, I'm sure. But don't worry, we dispel the fear this morning. Don't worry, there's no fear in that statement, and I'll tell you why. But that statement always to me has seemed very counterintuitive. I mean, if you go and read later on in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, what you'll find is Jesus spends an entire chapter telling the Pharisees how evil they are. You see, the Pharisees actually weren't righteous. They were self-righteous. The Pharisees were more concerned with the outside of the cup instead of the inside of the cup. So what is Jesus saying in this verse? He's saying two things. First of all, the new covenant is not about the outside. It's about the inside. It's about our heart. I mean, think about it. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, murder was illegal, right? You can't commit murder. In the new covenant, you can't even get angry with somebody. If you commit anger, you will be held to the same judgment, right? In the old covenant, adultery is illegal. In the new covenant, if you look on somebody of the opposite sex with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. In the old covenant, no divorce. I mean, divorce was allowed. New covenant, divorce is unacceptable, except for very rare circumstances. Old covenant, oaths are encouraged. New covenant, no more oaths. Let your yes be yes. Be people of integrity. Say yes if you mean it. Say no if you don't mean it. Old covenant, revenge is excused. Eye for an eye, tooth for the tooth. New covenant, no more revenge. In fact, you have to forgive your enemies. How many times? All the time. All the time. Old covenant, hatred was encouraged. Think of the Canaanites. They were commanded to kill them. They were commanded to hate those races. New covenant, not only do you have to forgive your enemies, but you have to go one step further. You've got to love them. That's right. The point I'm making is this, living a life in the freedom that Jesus died for and in the power of the Holy Spirit is not a cop-out from living a godly life. 
It's on the other hand, a huge encouragement to live one. And while it's true, at least it's true for me, I know it's probably not true for any of you that we fail at doing it. I fail at doing it, living a godly life all the time. I do it. It does lead us to the second thing that Jesus was saying, and that is this. The only way we could ever hope to live more righteously than the Pharisees is when we allow the Christ in us to live through us. You see, when we stand before God the Father, whose righteousness is measured? Christ's righteousness. And as we become sanctified, whose righteousness is, it, is taking us from one degree of glory to the next? Christ's. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, we all with unveiled faces are beholding the glory of the Lord, looking at Jesus. And what's happening as we look to Jesus? We are being transformed from one degree of holiness to the next. One degree of glory to the next. And this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit does it in us. You see, sanctification is 100% a product of God's grace. Yes, we put effort in. Yes, we fight our flesh. But it's the righteousness of Christ in me, the hope of glory, that enables me to become a better version of myself tomorrow than I am today. And if you, like me, have failed time and again, if you've committed sin time and again, I want to encourage you this morning, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. What you need to do is get your eyes back on Jesus and say, Lord, help me do what only you can do in me. I want to close with this. The band can come up. The preaching of the gospel results in us experiencing more of God. Galatians 3 verse 4 and 5. Did you experience so much for nothing? If in fact it was for nothing. So then, does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? We're going to end there for today. Paul reminds the Galatians that all the signs, the wonders, the miracles that they experienced due to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in their lives were not as a result of them following rules and regulations. They didn't even know about the law at that point. It came as a result of them believing the gospel message. And here's the challenge. You see, the devil doesn't want us preaching the gospel. The reason why the devil doesn't want us preaching the gospel is because he doesn't want us to be on fire for God. He doesn't want us to be alive. He wants us to be a dead church. One of those countless churches I spoke about who've got five people that are left in their holy huddle. And, and please, I, I love them. And, we, and we're trying to work with many people and help them see, the, see that, that God wants more for them. But here's what I'm saying. The devil doesn't want us preaching the gospel message because it's the same thing that destroyed him. And so he wants us preaching other stuff and getting involved in all these other things. It's a cultural Christianity that we live in. And we live in a cultural Christian we live in a cultural Christian world. In the case of the Galatian church, it was a group of Jewish people trying to turn Gentile people into becoming more Jewish. But make no mistake, friends, cultural Christianity is alive and well. It's the form of Christianity that causes us to focus on our practice, to focus on tradition, to focus on religion, to focus on our works instead of the glorious grace that Jesus died to give us. Cultural Christianity, friends, is alive and well in America. 
We need to stay far away from the cultural Christianity we see invading the church's friends and just get back to the gospel message where we live our lives for the King. Not perfectly, we're gonna fail being honest and transparent and being open to correction where we need it, but preaching the message of grace that Jesus died for me, not as I need to become, but as I am right now. You see, if you're hungry for more of God, if you want more miracles, signs and wonders in our church, if you want to see the manifestation of the glory of God here today, I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit will only ever seal the true, authentic gospel. We will see more of God. We will experience more of God. We will see the miracles of God if we continue to preach faith plus nothing in the cross plus nothing. Because after all, there is no other gospel. Can I ask you to stand? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would show up in our gatherings, not just on a Sunday morning, but in our homes, in our life groups, in our small groups, in our family time, in greater measure. Give us the boldness to preach the gospel in and out of season, the true gospel. Help us to never lose sight of what you did, Jesus. Help us to never make it about what we do. I pray that this season that we're going into, as we remember or as we start celebrating the arrival of our King, Holy Spirit, that you will encourage us to become more alive again. That where we've heaped on stuff to our Christianity, maybe it's cultural, that you would start to peel it away from us and you'd start to reveal the true form of our godliness, which is Jesus Christ. That we would live, Lord, not in our own strength, but in your power. And that we would be a friend to all the people in this world who desperately need one and we would present them with the only viable alternative to an eternity in hell. And that is belief in the risen King, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, be glorified this morning in our praise. Lord Jesus, we love you and we exist only to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.